Hello, it's Thursday, the 24th of November, and welcome to Korea 24. I'm your host, Kwon j a n g w o Unionized truck drivers across the nation have begun a general strike, demanding a continued guarantee of minimum shipping rates. The government has warned of a strong response. We'll have more details in news briefing shortly. President Yun suspended his daily Q&A with reporters this week amid ongoing acrimony between the presidential office and broadcaster NBC. We discussed this situation for Korean Politics Digest today. And then coming up on Explore Korea, we find out about a new museum that celebrates the unique history of Yongsan District here in Seoul. Let's begin Korea 24. We stop and we change the world. That's the rallying cry by union head Lee Bong-ju of Cargo Truckers Solidarity. Truckers across the nation began a general strike, hampering freight deliveries across the country as they demand the government extend and expand a system guaranteeing minimum shipping rates. Our KBS World Radio news editor Koo Hee-jin joins us in the studio now to tell us what's behind the move and update us on other headlines of the day. Hee-jin, hello. Hello, Jang-ho. So the government issued a stern response and threatened to take executive action against the protesters if the strike severely compromises nationwide logistics. Mm-hmm. First, can you brief us on day one of the walkout? Well, the 16 regional branches of the cargo truck is a solidarity under the Korean Confederation of Trade Unions launched a general strike Thursday morning, staging protests at ports and industrial complexes around the nation. Separately, Seoul's subway union also launched a strike to protest the company's uh, restructuring plan that calls for layoffs. Uh, after the truckers walk out uh, uh, At 10 a.m., truckers began blocking the entry and exit of cargo from shipping facilities nationwide. Let's listen to what the truckers' union chief E had to say. Nearly 700 citizens die in truck-related car accidents in a year. Truckers work 12 hours a day throughout the month and sometimes work 16 hours a day to make a living. We can no longer fuel trucks with their death and pain. The union is demanding that the government extend the safe trucking freight rate system that is set to expire at the end of the year. The system was originally implemented with the aim of guaranteeing a minimum shipping rate for truckers and thus mitigating exhaustion or overloading. The truckers are demanding that the government expand the policy to cover other types of cargo, such as steel, automobiles and loads in tankers. Only containers and cement trucks, or just over 6% of all commercial freight vehicles, currently benefit from the system. 
Right, so they're demanding an extension and expansion of the system, and mm-hmm. this is the second time that they have carried out a strike this year over this issue, the first one coming in June, mm-hmm. which lasted eight days. Uh, what is the government's stance regarding the protesters and the demands? Well, the ruling People Power Party proposed a three-year extension of that system on Tuesday, but balked at expanding the coverage uh, with Transport Minister Wan Yidong arguing that the system has not been proven to increase safety, but only serves to boost drivers' incomes. Responding strongly to the collective action, one said the government will have no choice but to respond sternly in accordance with the law to an indefinite general strike that cripples the country's logistics. The government said earlier that the strike will have limited effect on deliveries and movement of freight. Still, we are already seeing some reports that the union's blockade has already resulted in less than two-fifths of freights exiting the port in Incheon on day one of the strike. Uh, Minister Wan added that the effects of a protracted standoff on the nation's shipping network may compel the government to invoke an executive order ending the protest, stressing that the government made no promises about extending or expanding expanding the system. The government responded by setting up emergency transportation headquarters and deploying official and military vehicles to prevent possible supply disruptions. It, it also dispatched police and may, at major logistics hubs to monitor illegal blockades of transportation. OK, we'll continue to watch how this strike continues, how the government responds and what impact it will have on the economy. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the economy, South Korea's central bank raised its key interest rate on Thursday, this time by a quarter of a percentage point. This was the first ever sixth consecutive hike coming amid the drawn-out inflation. So can you brief us on the latest hike? Well, the Bank of Korea's rate-setting monetary policy board on Thursday raised the benchmark interest rate by 25 basis points to 3.25% in a bid to tame soaring prices. The uh, the committee's final rate hike of the year is an unprecedented sixth consecutive upward adjustment since April. The gap between the BOK's rate and that of the US Federal Reserve has now narrowed to a maximum of 0.75 percentage points. The central bank attributed the latest rate hike to efforts to stabilise consumer prices as inflation reached 5.7% last month, with the momentum building on the upward trend. Uh, The policy board, however, limited the hike to a baby step of 25 basis points, reflecting a recent stability in the foreign currency market, a frozen housing market and a slow down in exports. The BOK also slashed its economic growth forecast for next year to 1.7% from its previous outlook of 2.1%. The nation posted uh, growth below 1% range uh, only twice since 2000 during the global uh, financial crisis in 2009 and at the start of the COVID-19 pandemic in 2020. 
Let's uh, shift gears now to the Football World Cup because South Korea is about to kick off its campaign. They'll be facing Uruguay in their first group game in Qatar on Thursday night Korea time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hee-jin, can you set up for us? Well, South Korea is aiming to advance to the round 16 for the first time in 12 years, making a victory in Thursday's match crucial if history is any guide. The team's previous forays into the knockout stage came in 2002 and 2010 after winning their openers. Uruguay, which ranks 14th in FIFA rankings, finished third in the South American Confederation qualifiers and arrived in Qatar with world-class players such as Luis Suarez, uh, Darwin Nunez and Federico Valverde. Um, South South Korea ranked 28th and features players who are active in European leagues, including uh, Son Heung-min, Kim Min-jae, Lee Jae-sung and Hwang Yun-bom. Uh, Team Korea will face Ghana in its second group match on Monday and Portugal on Friday of next week. Yes, and here in Korea, around 40,000 people nationwide are set to gather for indoor and outdoor cheering events for tonight's game. Can you tell us about those events? Well, group cheering events hosted by local governments, uh, schools and other state agencies will take place at 12 venues, including Seoul's Gwangwamun Square and the World Cup Stadium in Suwon, Gyeonggi Province. Uh, Some 15,000 people will likely gather at Gwangwamun Square uh, to 20,000 in Swan and 2,000 at Tonju University's main sports field, uh, with the estimates excluding gatherings hosted by private companies or groups. The actual total for mass cheering nationwide will likely be much higher. In the aftermath of the fatal Ite One crowd crush last month, the Seoul Metropolitan Government and the police have taken various safety precautions, such as traffic controls, to prevent overcrowding at street cheering events. Let's turn to domestic headlines now, domestic uh, political headlines. Uh, Rival parties finally approved a plan after much wrangling to hold a parliamentary probe on that fatal Itaewon crowd crush. Can you brief us on this uh, late breaking news? Well, the plan uh, passed Parliament uh, by a vote of 220 to 13 at a parliamentary uh, plenary session with 21 abstentions. Main opposition Democratic Party lawmakers who attended the meeting all voted for the plan, while 12 of the 13 votes against were cast by lawmakers of the ruling People Power Party. Uh, The special committee in charge of the probe comprises 18 lawmakers, nine from the DP, seven from the PPP and two from minor opposition parties. Uh, The committee will conduct the probe for 45 days starting Thursday with a possible extension pending parliamentary approval. Government agencies that will be under scrutiny include the State Affairs Monitoring Team of the Presidential Office, the National Crisis Management Centre, the Prime Minister's Office, the Interior and Health Ministries, as well as the Supreme Prosecutor's Office, the Police and the Fire Agency. The rival parties have been bickering over the scope of the investigation, which held up an agreement. The two sides comprised and uh, compromised and agreed to only summon prosecution officials in charge of drug crimes, which has been uh, pointed out as part of the reason police did not focus on crowd control on the day of the accident. 
Meanwhile, the police investigative team probing the tragedy summoned officials from the police and fire service for further questioning on Thursday. Can you tell us more? Well, the team on Thursday called in Pak Songmin, a superintendent general level officer who allegedly ordered the deletion of a safety risk analysis report drawn up prior to the Halloween festivities. Park is the highest ranking police officer to face charges in the case, which include the destruction of evidence and inaction. The head of on-site command at the Yongsan Fire Station, identified by her surname Lee, uh, was also brought uh, brought in uh, on suspicion of inept response and issued belated orders for rescue efforts at the scene. Uh, Song Byung-ju, a superintendent-level officer who was in charge of Itaewon's 112 emergency hotline at the time, was questioned for allegedly failing to report the incoming emergency calls to then Yongsan Police Chief Lee Im-chae. And that's where we wrap up our news briefing today. Thank you for those updates. Thank you. Coming up next is in-depth news analysis. You are now listening to Korea 24 on KBS World Radio. President Yoon Sung-yeol began the week by suspending the morning Q&A sessions with reporters that had become a signature policy of his administration. This comes amid a continued acrimony between the presidential office and the broadcaster NBC over their coverage of the president. To discuss the feud and the decision to suspend the press briefings for Korean Politics Digest today, we have two guests joining us on the line. First, we have our regular contributor for the Digest, Affiliate Professor Kim Byung-ju from the Hangul University of Foreign Studies. Professor Kim, hello. Hello, delighted to be here. And today we have also a veteran journalist and the former president of the Seoul Foreign Correspondents Club, Michael Breen, on the line with us as well. Mr. Breen, hello, and thank you for being on the show today. Yeah, hello to you. Thank you. Okay, we have talked about this issue on the Digest in recent weeks, but let's go over uh, some of the background briefly again. In September, while on a trip to New York, President Yoon was caught in a hot mic incident using crude language. NBC reported that he used it against US President Joe Biden and the US Congress. The presidential office issued denials and also said that NBC was actively looking to undermine President Yun and the Korea-US alliance. Then earlier this month, NBC reporters were banned from the presidential plane during Yun's trip to Southeast Asia, apparently in continuing fallout from the hot mic incident. Then last Friday, as the regular morning Q&A session was concluding, an NBC reporter tried to press President Yun on one more question, which led to a verbal altercation between the reporter and a presidential office official. So then on Monday morning, uh, the office announced that the daily briefings would be suspended unless there are fundamental measures to prevent the recurrence of quote-unquote unsavoury incidents. Okay, so Mr. Breen, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this decision and the overall situation, especially as a journalist. What is your reaction to the decision? Well, you know, in my opinion, it's it's rather foolish uh, on the part of the presidential office. Um, You know, I I would say that uh, the the president and his kind of PR team 
uh, I mean, they have every right to uh, react to media, even to deny access. I mean, there, there's no... The, the journalists, particularly from privately owned media, don't have a legal right to, say, get on the presidential plane at taxpayers' expense uh, and so on and so forth. You know, so I don't think the presidential office is acting outside of anything in a legal sense. But politically speaking, um, it looks rather foolish. And, and um, you know, I, I, th I, think, I think there's two, two, two thoughts I have about this. One, <clears throat> one is that um, the, it's to do with sort of attitudes to freedom of the press. Uh, and so on. And, it, you know, as a foreign observer, and I, I admit that this is my view as a foreigner, and, and Koreans may not share it, but it seems to me that freedom in this country is sort of held up as something that distinguishes us from North Korea, but it's not considered a deeply held inalienable right <clears throat> or national value. I think it is in the part of the citizenry. I think they really value freedom, but mm. in, in the it's not talked about in that way. And so, this idea that a, a president can be um, sort of offended, or you know, the journalist can be rude, mm. um, isn't responded on the president's side. It's not well. You know, I just got to put up with this. This is part of my job description. Why? Because we have this inalienable right to freedom, and that includes freedom of the press. Um, so each president, I think with the exception of No Mujan about 20 years ago, has one way or another tried to manage the press. Mm. Early presidents did it with tax audits. Um, so I think President Yoon thought he would be a cool, kind of forward-looking guy and... Uh, chat informally every day with the press and now he stopped doing that he makes himself look uncool the other part just very briefly the other part of this I, I, strikes me is that um, the political and business decision makers in this country take the media too seriously part of the problem is that they react to media all, sometimes almost as if media is the voice of the people telling them what to do Whereas half the time, you just have to ignore things. Like if, if a media is saying that, you know, this, this hot mic incident, you just ignore it. But somehow they can't seem to ignore it. They can't let it go. Mm. Uh, and that forces them to take actions that look rather churlish and emotional uh, from the outside. Professor Kim, what do you think about the president's decision? Uh, I think Mr. Brin uh, made several important and interesting points here. He said, uh, last point, taking media too seriously. I, I do agree. Uh, I think there is a certain uh, really serious, uh, you know, no-nonsense point right there. But the thing is, the reality is uh, everybody is taking media seriously. And in Korea, uh, what I would call popular sovereignty, people have, pe Korean people have this strong sense of ownership of the politics and everything. They follow media that they like, and then they position themselves. And then we uh, do conduct uh, the, you know, polls all the time and stuff. So it is very difficult to tell presidential office to pay less attention to media because immediately what will come back is 
소통부제, the lack of communication, lack of understanding of the people, it will become a huge kind of tsunami against the presidential office. So even though it's a, it's a really important point, it will be very uh, difficult to, to put it into practice. Going back to the original question of how this all came out altogether, uh, relating to Mr. Green's point here, freedom, freedom of speech and freedom as a whole, it's kind of ironic that the president who uh, repeatedly repeat the word freedom all the time, in all of his speeches all the time, is now being accused of doing something against freedom of uh, press. It's ironic. I'm not going against the Mr. Green's uh, idea or point here, but... Anyway, uh, the, my concern here is not really. It's it's not really about freedom of press. If if foreign journalists here, I know it's not Mr. Brin, uh, one of them, but uh, you know, foreign journalists here uh, issued a joint statement about uh, freedom of press. But they 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 know it. They know it better than that. And it's uh, the, the, what we are seeing here is not the question of freedom of press as much. And the way I see it, it's a, it's a question of uh, a big picture that's much bigger than that. When I, as I look into this, I'm very much mindful of the centrist votes, centrist, centrist voters here mm. in Korea, who rely on these publicly funded, publicly owned media like KBS, NBC, and TBS, and so on. And and the centrist voters, they need channels and public space, public square where they want to listen to both sides of the voice. Centrist voters are critical in democracy. We don't want to go where the United States has gone, the country being divided, no hope for meeting in the middle. We do want centrist voters to have views, uh, you know, to hear views from both sides, and then sometimes vote for a progressive party, and then sometimes vote for centrist, uh, the, the, you know, uh, conservative, uh, conservative party taking turns. And that has been a very important and proud tradition of Korean democracy, the existence of centrist voters who are willing to change their minds, willing to change their, their positions. For the centrist voters to do that, we do need this publicly funded media offering both sides of the, the, the voices. If a media is dedicated to only one side, centrist voters, where do they go? Do they go to uh, NBC, like what NBC has done all the sure. time. I mean, you know, I've been hearing a lot from centrist voters saying what NBC has done ever since the inauguration of President Yoon has been, I'm quoting these words, nasty and disgusting. They've been following uh, scandals. Right. I mean, swearing words out of presidential mouth. What difference does it make in terms of national policymaking and stuff like that? And NBC has been doing this the whole time. And they have really dismayed the centrist voters. Centrist voters need NBC to offer voices from both mm. sides. So going beyond this, you know, what the president's office has done, this is a question about, you know, how do we preserve and ensure the, the centrist voters, you know, to, uh, you know sure. for them to acquire information sure. and perspectives. So, Mr. Breen, what do you make of that allegation that NBC has been reporting in a biased manner and reporting false news and that it's especially wrong as a public broadcaster that should be uh, fair? Uh, for example, on the hot mic incident itself, the argument is that there is no way that NBC could have been certain about what President Yun said, considering all the noise in that room during the time. 
uh, and that by saying President Yoon was making derogatory remarks against the U.S. President and Congress, it was threatening to undermine the uh, President and the alliance? Well, I think uh, um, that, that may well be true. And if it's true, uh, then there must surely be a process. Uh, and the process isn't for the equivalent of a punch-up in front of all the other journalists. The process would be um, whatever, uh, I don't know how that how it quite works, but um, if a publicly funded media, you know, say like the BBC, for example. Now, the, the policy in Britain with the BBC is just to leave it be. Um, uh, but um, in Korea's case, there is more of a desire to rein in uh, the publicly funded media when it gets too critical of the government. And I think that's something government has to resist. But on the other hand, there must be a process that uh, if there's a genuine feeling of unfairness, um, then there should be a process to make complaint, to complain about that. Mm. Um, and I, I'm not sure if that process was undertaken. It doesn't seem like it. It just seems more like a spat to me. Professor Kim, what do you make about that criticism, that perhaps the way the presidential office went about this whole situation uh, was uh, perhaps uh, not ideal to suspend the Q&A session and to ban, from, uh, ban NBC from the presidential plane seems not only petty, but also it perhaps uh, shows signs that they're looking to control the media and suppress any organisation that it does not agree with. Yeah, that's a critical point. And controlling and all that, I think Mr. Brin was right on it, right on the target. The problem is, every time government changes, governments try to put their people in this publicly funded media. That's what Im Young-bak did as a conservative government, big time when he came into power, saying for 10 years, Korean media has been uh, tilted towards to the left, so we're going to fix it. And we're going to put our people in KBS, NBC, and, and all these public media organizations. Uh, and uh, that's exactly what Moon government did, too, when he came in saying the Korean public media has been gone, has gone to the right too much and we're going to fix it. The reason why we are seeing this problem of NBC this time is Yoon government, fully aware of all these problems that results from this kind of hubris at the beginning of the government, Yoon government came coming in with 47% of the votes have been more careful about not to hurry in replacing people to their liking. So these people who stick around from the Moon government side, uh, progressive tradition, uh, still continue to rule this public-funded uh, media organizations, and then they get into trouble with the Yoon government. That's exactly what we see. Therefore, what we perhaps need is legislating a law or something so that presidents and the government's will not change people like they have done under Moon Jae-in government and then Im Young-bak government on both sides and stop making sure that these kind of things do not happen again right now. Uh, NBC, even KBS, uh, we are, you're, you're full of people who are leaning too much to the progressive side for centrist voters' taste right now. And it is a problem. And uh, we don't want to get into the TBS case where 
the entire mm. organization is devoted to the progressive media cause when they're all funded by the taxpayer money of Seoul citizens. So uh, we, are, we know where the problem is coming from, and, and we, I think we have the concept, idea about how this problem may be solved going forward. But even though it will be very difficult to practice, put that into practice, but the, the whole thing is because of this sure. pendulum movement, and sure. the Yun government mm. is stuck with their position, sure. not trying to repeat the hubris that the previous government have uh, done before, but now they are suffering from the right. consequences. So, Mr. Breen, then, uh, how do you think this situation uh, should be resolved? And more broadly speaking, uh, what sort of relationship would you like to see uh, develop between the media and the government? Well, I think, first of all, I think Dr. Kim's, what he said is, is spot on. I think there needs to be some kind of structural uh, change so that presidents don't come in and appoint their own people in charge of these very, very influential media, and then it all, the pendulum swings the other way five years later, but there's a lag and so on. Nobody's interested to serve that way. Uh, what, more on, a, on the ground, so to speak, in the relationship, I think what, what, what I would say is that you know, the president um, obviously has a job to do. And the president's people, their job is to advise him and to execute his decisions and so on. They, they have a job to do. This is a professional um, thing that they have to do. Uh, the media, they're also professionals. They have a job to do. Um, but they answer to a different audience. Um, and, you know, where these two professions meet in the middle, there is a natural tension. Uh, and that's good because the, the overall good that is served is that the executive branch is um, overseen to some extent or is, is sort of answerable to the electorate that gives its consent to be ruled. You know, that the overall thing is a good. But mm. in the middle... There is a tension, and it has to be handled professionally with the mindfulness, not just of political self-interest, but of law and principles and national values. And I think the onus for that is on the presidential side. I think they've really got to lighten up. Um, I don't know if uh, President Yoon is tempted by the Donald Trump uh, example and calling out mm. media saying that they're fake news and things but I think I don't think he should be tempted to do that I think he should lighten sure. up and not worry too much about what's said about him um, in that way not react sure. so sensitively sure and finally uh, Professor Kim very briefly you talked about the structural changes you would like to see but in the short term how would you like to see the situation between the presidential office and NBC be resolved uh, Mr. Breen has suggested that uh, perhaps it's the presidential office that needs to uh, extend its hand. I fully agree with, with Mr. Breen. Uh, the current presidential office, there, what they do is suboptimal. It's um, amateurish, unskilled, and they have a lot to learn. So I agree with that. But uh, bigger picture, though, we really want to make sure that uh, all, uh, if we can, the, the availability of uh, publicly funded media being neutrality is impossible, but just, just offering voices from both sides. As I look back, the cases of the United States, I really wanted to 
uh, understand. I never agree with Trump's voices, but I wanted to understand why people are angry. But this, you know, mainstream media like New York Times, Washington Post, CBS, NBC, ABC, they didn't really explain to us, to me, what this anger is all about. But we do need here in Korea how people on the other side think, what they mm. have in mind. That way, we can come together to the same table, and then we can talk about common solutions and then collective choices we'll be making as a political community. That's critical for the health of democracy. We need that. We don't need people staying in certain organizations and then driving their organizations into only one direction, sure. continuously churning out trash media on scandalous materials and so on. We don't need that. So that's something I think we should keep in mind and perhaps mm. as lawmakers take actions right. on. Professor Kim, Professor Breen, uh, Mr. Breen, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you both for your time today. Thank you. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index rose 23.32 points, or 0.96% on Thursday, closing the day at 2,441.33. The tech-heavy Kosdaq also gained 12.63 points, or 1.74%, to close the day at 738.22. On the foreign exchange, the local currency, the South Korean won, strengthened 23.61 against the dollar, ending the day at 1,328.21. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. It's time now for Korea Trending, a daily segment looking at some of the other news headlines that have been trending online today. And for that, we have with us Diane Yu to bring us those stories today. Diane, hello. It's good to see you. Hello, Dango. It's good to see you. OK, we jump straight into our stories today. What do you have for us first? A man in his 20s was arrested on home invasion and theft charges. The homeowner was shocked to find out that the thief was her close friend who kept her company when she was going through a hard time. Two months ago in September, her 14-year-old companion dog, Duri, was found unconscious when she came home after work. The veterinarian diagnosis was a spinal fracture, and an emergency surgery was performed, but Nuri died within a week. That's when she got closer to her friend as he stayed at the hospital with her on the day of the surgery and for five days during Nuri's seven-day hospitalization. Okay, so she thought this man was a friend who was standing by her during a difficult time. Right. But then how did she find out that he had uh, legally entered her home? Like something out of a Hollywood movie, the dog owner said she got chills after she received a picture of Nudie from him. When she looked at the detailed information of the photo file, the date and time the image was taken was when Noam was at home and an hour before Nudie was found with a broken spine. There was even evidence from surveillance camera footage that the suspect went into her house twice, including on the day of the incident. The police found out that he broke into her house and stole money after finding out the front door password. The police took safety measures for the victim, including giving her a smartwatch in case of an emergency. Right, so it seems that he was perhaps a friend who had visited before and having a picture of Nuri was not so strange. Mm -hmm. But when he sent that photo, 
uh, when he sent a photo with a message of support, apparently, uh, to her. That's when she caught that tiny detail and deduced something was wrong. Right. It is uh, indeed chilling, like uh, something from a movie. Mm-hmm. So they went back and looked at the security camera footage. You mentioned that the suspect was charged with home invasion and theft. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about the dog, Nuri, though? Uh, the photo he took was taken an hour before the dog was found, you said. Right. Do we know if he was responsible for Nuri's injury and subsequent death? Uh, animal abuse and killing Nuri were not included in the charges. The police explained that forensics found a search record for Monty's abuse on the suspect's cell phone, but it could not be used as evidence to link the crime to the suspect. The suspect denied all the, uh, the allegations of animal abuse, and the victim filed a complaint to the police asking for another investigation for her dog. The first trial will be held on the 9th of December at the Western Branch of the Busan District Court. I mean, it does all look very suspicious. Mm -hmm. It is perhaps worth a second look. But more importantly, I can't imagine the trauma that the woman must be going through, the trust issues that could arise from something like this. It is indeed a terrifying story. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, let's move on to our next story. What do you have for us? The South Korean singer and actor Lee Seung-gi released an official statement on Thursday regarding ongoing reports of the artist not receiving any payment for music releases over the past 18 years. Lee's legal representatives, law firms Pae Kim and Lee and Bestway, released a statement on behalf of Lee, demanding that his agency Hook Entertainment disclose the entire account statement from all of the albums in which Lee had participated and pay him accordingly. It's believed that the singer released 137 songs during this period. The statement also said that Yi's trust was broken with the agency's CEO, Kwon Jin-young, due to her alleged uh, threats and insults that have gone viral online. Yes, someone secretly recorded a conversation with her where mm-hmm. she threatened to kill Yi. Right. So uh, no wonder that trust is broken now. But it's a uh, rather unbelievable to think that Yi hadn't received any of the profits from his songs, including numerous uh, major hits. Mm -hmm. Uh, How did he realise then after so long that he wasn't getting paid? So being in the same agency since 2004, Yi said that he trusted and followed the agency like a family without a doubt. However, he recently became aware of the fact that his music revenues were not rightfully transferred to his bank account after receiving a text message sent by mistake by the agency's employee. Therefore, Yi requested the agency to come forward with the details of what happened several times, but the agency avoided the matter with various excuses and defaming comments. Yes, I understand the agency's CEO, the one we mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. uh, released a statement recently. What did it say? Right. Related to the controversy, CEO Kwon said in a statement on Monday that, quote-unquote, everything resulted from my negligence and lack of virtue. She also added that, quote, if it is confirmed that Hook Entertainment or I have to take legal responsibility, I will not dodge or avoid it, unquote. Yes, she had reportedly lied to him, saying that although he was popular, his songs were not money makers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it perhaps shows his naivety on one side as well, but also how much he had trusted the agency, uh, making the betrayal likely even more painful. For sure. Okay, well, we'll watch to see how that case unfolds. In the meantime, let's turn to our final story. And thankfully, it is a feel-good one. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some cheerful messages from our neighbouring country, Japan, after its unprecedented victory against four-time World Cup winners, Germany, uh, in the Qatar World Cup. Yes, just like Saudi Arabia the day before, Japan was able to cause one of the tournament's biggest upsets, achieving a historic 2-1 win against Germany in its first game in Group E at Khalifa International Stadium on the 23rd local time. 
Japan has struggled to keep hold of the ball in the first half, with the Germany dominating possession and getting a goal in the 33rd minute through Ilkay Gundogan penalty. Things turned around for Japan in the second half, though, and they were able to get an equalizer through Toan Nitsu in the 75th minute, and then the winner from Asano Takuma in the 83rd. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. And what further caught the attention of Korean fans, though, was that after the game, Japanese players mentioned Korea. Mm-hmm. Who has its first game against Uruguay tonight in their post-match interviews? They did. Minami no Takumi, the striker who also plays as AS Monaco in France, met with reporters after the game and said, "Quote unquote, I hope Korea wins tomorrow." He added that, "Quote, I have friends on the Korean team, including Hwang Itan. Korea also has the ability to do something special. I want to see them win." Unquote. The midfielder Kubo Takehusa, who plays for Real Sociedad in the Spanish La Liga also expressed his support for Team Korea. He mentioned that Lee Gang-in, who was Kubo's teammate at the Spanish side Mallorca, wished him good luck in the game against Germany. Kubo said, quote-unquote, Now I will wish him good luck in the match against Uruguay as it's an important game for him. He is one of my best friends, so I will definitely cheer for him. Well, it's very nice that they had some warm-hearted messages like that, despite the strained diplomatic relationship yes. between the two countries at the moment. Uh, but yes, getting results against the four-time world champions uh, was seen as nearly impossible for Japan. Did they say where they got their inspiration from? The Japanese players said that their will to win became stronger after watching Saudi Arabia defeat Lionel Messi's Argentina the day before. And as the team had players who play in the German Bundesliga, they prepared the game based on their experience. They also emphasized how strong teamwork led to their win when its goalie Gonda Shuichi saying, quote-unquote, we unite as a team and fight together. It was Toan and Asano who scored the goals, but all of us did it together. Well, hopefully it will be the South Korean team's turn to be inspired Mm -hmm. as they take on Uruguay in just a few hours. Right. Okay, we'll wrap it up there. Diane, thank you for those stories, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, Jiang. We'll see you next week. time now for our weekly segment, Explore Korea, where we take a journey across the peninsula and discovering more about the country's history, culture and travel highlights. Joining us this week is Alison Needles from the Korean historical travel website, Pinpoint Korea. Annie, hello. It's good to talk to you again. Yeah, always happy to be here. Thank you. Okay, so Ali, a couple of months ago, you introduced us to the history of Itaewon, which ended up being a sad coincidence as just a few weeks later, the area saw the Halloween disaster that shocked the nation, of course. Mm. Uh, We won't be dwelling on that today, but uh, we did want to talk about the larger area that Itaewon is actually a part of, and that's Yongsan-gu or Yongsan District. And we wanted to celebrate it a bit, as well as talk about a new attraction that opened to the public earlier this year, the Yongsan History Museum. No. Now, as we mentioned last time, you uh, lived in the Yongsangu area for several years. Uh, what can you tell us about the history of the area? Yeah, Yongsan is a really incredible place. It's well known for being one of the biggest transportation hubs in Seoul. 
and the nearby Asan Mountain Ridge that extends down towards the Han River was said to resemble a dragon. And that's how the name Yongsan or Dragon Mountain got its name. Um, and interestingly, Yongsan, it's hard to imagine because it's such a staple of Seoul today, but it wasn't actually part of the capital city of Hanyang, which is now Seoul. Mm. And it was Actually, in the past, in the Joseon Dynasty, it was more of a riverside village. So it was where the grains were collected as tax, and then they would be sent up to the central government. And so it was essentially a hub of goods and people and an entrance point into the Hanyang city. And that also made it recognizable for its diverse population, which also has some similarities with today. Mm. Um, in particular, it opened up to international merchant ships in 1884, and it ended up becoming the main trading port uh, just outside of Hanyang. Um, military bases were set up here as well for the Japanese from 1904, and later, of course, the Americans, uh, one of which still remains today. So that also made it a really popular place for entertainment, particularly Korean performers um, that the American soldiers were interested in watching in the 1960s and the 1970s. With all of this diversity, it became a religiously tolerant area. So it's home to several Catholic and Christian churches, as well as Buddhist temples, as well as the Seoul Central Mosque, which I mentioned in the previous um, interview that we had. Sure. Um, and it's even home to some uh, bugundang, or shaman shrines, uh, where villagers hold sacrificial rites to their ancestors that, that are still functioning today. And uh, uh, the last thing I'll say, because I could go on about Yongsan for ages, <laughs> sure. um, is that it's also famous for honoring several of its Korean independence fighters uh, during Japanese colonization, and they are now buried in Yongsan's Hyochang Park. So... You can learn all about this, as well as other things I didn't mention, at the new Yongsan History Museum. Right. So this museum, it's a really uh, a museum that celebrates uh, the area then, its unique and diverse history, which you have uh, briefly walked us through. So then can you tell us more about the museum uh, itself? Can you tell us more? Yeah, the interesting thing about the Yongsan History Museum is that the building, the actual physical structure, is registered as a cultural heritage. Um, and it was registered in 2008 because it actually is housed in the former Yongsan Railway Hospital. The hospital was built in 1928, and it was essentially used to treat rail, uh, railroad workers, um, as well as like construction workers or anybody who had injuries related to railway accidents for free. Mm. And it was a very big hospital. Um, and by 1939, apparently they had over around 325,000 patients in that year alone. Wow. Um, and if you know where it is, it's just across the street from Yongsan Station. So that made it very easy to treat the patients that were coming in and out. Thankfully, the building has been very well maintained, and several of the rooms now um, have their original tiled walls and floors, uh, the outer walls, all of the windows, as well as the corridors, um, and a lot of other features are all original. It did end up changing its name to the Chang'an University Hospital from 1984 to 2011. So some people might have actually known that hospital or been there, mm. but it had been previously called Yongsan uh, railway hospital but uh yeah like you mentioned it's now been reborn at the history museum and it opened up in this year uh spring of this year right i've seen uh pictures of the building itself and i would say it's actually rather uh, unassuming i'm not sure if yeah. you would agree but it does have a, a distinct 
uh, red brick architecture yeah. that would look actually uh, more at home somewhere in Europe uh, rather than in Korea. But again, uh, that's a part of the charm of this building, I feel. Right. Okay, so what can visitors experience and see inside there then? Well, it's a surprisingly very large museum. I mean, when you consider the fact that it was a hospital, that makes sense. Um, it has two floors that are a permanent exhibition space. They have all kinds of exhibitions about the history that I mentioned briefly before. They have some hands-on experience centers. You can try on some old-fashioned costumes. <laughs> um, they have a lot of resting areas and a cafeteria and a cafe. They have a really beautiful rooftop garden that overlooks Yongsan Station, which I was very pleasantly surprised by. Mm. Um, and one thing that I appreciated is that all of the exhibition panels have English information as well as uh, several others, including Chinese and Japanese, too. And they also have a temporary exhibition uh, that always goes on and it kind of rotates out. The last one ended mid-October, so I believe they're currently preparing for a new one. And you can check out their official website for more information or just pop in and see what's going on. Sure. Unfortunately, I believe uh, there's no English version of the website, uh, although you said uh, there were exhibition panels in English and Chinese and Japanese, but uh, not the website. Not yet, anyway. Uh, but it seems like there will be plenty to see and do, even if you were just to pop in at any time. Absolutely. On that note, for those hoping to make a visit, how can they reach the museum? If you're coming from Seoul, um, you can just get off at Yongsan Station. So this is via the KTX or Mugunghwa train, ITX train, and of course, subway line number one. And the museum is a five-minute walk directly across the road. Entrance to the museum is free. It's open from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. every day except Mondays and on all major holidays. Sure, it's easy enough to find. Well, uh, Ali, we'll leave it there. Thank you for introducing us uh, to this uh, new museum and the area of Yongsan. Till next time, take care and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you so much. I hope everybody gets to visit. And that's what we call it a day today. Now, tomorrow there'll be no Career 24 as it is the last Friday of the month, which is when we take our regularly scheduled break. That means we'll be back on Monday, so we do hope you join us again then to get the latest news, views and reviews from Korea here on KBS World. Till then, we hope you have a great week. I've been your host, Kwon jang and thank you as always for listening. Goodbye. KBS World Radio. KBS World Radio.